The Holy Gospel for this Sunday in Epiphany comes from Luke chapter 6. Jesus came down with the twelve and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were, were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Excuse me. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. (coughs) Excuse me. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Creator and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The first morning you wake up to snow, it is beautiful. (laughs) Crystal clean and perfectly quiet. If you take a walk, you can hear the crunching of ice under your feet. Your dingy winter lawn is hidden, and the weeds you never pulled are nowhere to be seen. It is pristine and lovely. The hassles of it pale in comparison for the time being to the novelty of it. You can deal with it for a day. On day two, the novelty wears off a bit. The snow tracks you made yesterday on that walk are now icy and the dog is refusing to go with you. As well, you remembered that the only snow shovel you own cracked the last time you used it five years ago and you never got around to replacing it. But still, snow is beautiful and somehow it equalizes people. You meet meet neighbors that you hardly ever see as you all try to shovel your sidewalks with a garden rake, and you hear kids jumping and squealing and sledding to their heart's delight. This isn't so bad, you think. It's only two days. When it starts to snow again on day four, it is less exciting. You are getting low on milk, and your driveway has a huge berm at the base of it from the plow that finally came by. The snow is dirty now, gray and full of sand and rocks, and the kids are done playing in it, which is fine because all their clothes are wet and ruined anyway. (laughs) The romance is gone. You are ready for this to be done. Snow day six is rough. (laughs) You finally get to the store, but there are no bananas, and the only bread they have is a $6 organic loaf that no one in your house will eat. (laughs) If one more of your relatives from the Midwest makes fun of Seattle snow, you will take a video of yourself skiing down Hollywood Hill and ask if they'd like to do that in a Prius. (laughs) 
You wonder if possibly your house has shrunk in the last week and if it will ever stop snowing. Maybe this is it, you think. I'm just going to homeschool these kids for the rest of our lives. <clears throat> you think it cannot get worse, and then on day nine, the power goes out. That is all there is to be said about that. I may or may not be describing a great many things that I experienced and thought myself over the last two weeks. I sense that I may be describing things you thought and experienced over the last two weeks, too. Because however it started out, whether you enjoyed this snow or not, welcomed it or not, handled it well or not, it was profoundly disruptive. And in general, disruption is not something many of us are good at. You rarely realize how dependent you are on the daily routines of life until, in one way or another, they are taken away from you and your life is flattened out. The landscape is different. No hills or valleys, no patterns you recognize, no landmarks to guide you, as if everything is covered by snow, a level plain, nothing recognizable anymore, and you can't find your bearings. Luke's gospel tells us today that this is the kind of landscape Jesus chooses for his first big public teaching, a level place, a flat plain. In fact, he comes down from where he has been, which is on a mountain praying. He comes down and stands with his disciples and a great multitude of people, a crowd, all trying to get to him, trying to touch him, to be healed, to be cured of unclean spirits just to breathe the air he is breathing. It would be fairly natural for Jesus to try to find <coughs> excuse me, sort of a raised spot, even a small rock that he could stand on, a little bit above the crowd, kind of like a pulpit, so that he could see people and they could see him. But no. Jesus, as always, goes the opposite direction from what we expect. Jesus, says the story, stays on the flat place so that he has to look up at his disciples and say, Blessed are you who are poor. The kingdom belongs to you. Blessed are you who are weeping, for you will laugh. Blessed are you who are hungry, you will be filled. Woe to you who are rich and full and laughing. It will not always be that way. Now that is the ultimate disruption. The ultimate dismantling of all our careful routines and patterns and landscapes, all the hills and valleys that we know by heart. We know how this world works. <coughs> and it is not by lifting up the poor or the hungry or the weeping. We know what it is like to be those things, or at least some of them, and the last thing they feel like is a blessing. The landscape that Jesus is describing makes no sense at all to us. And so Christians have struggled with these words ever since they came out of Jesus' mouth. And still, we've not really figured them out. How is it a blessing to be poor or hungry? Where is the blessing in weeping or being hated or reviled? And where exactly is the woe in riches and laughter and full bellies? 
To be sure, along the way, we have abused Jesus' words in harmful ways. People have been told that their poverty or their grief or their hunger is what God wants for them. And if they hang on long enough, they'll find the blessing in it. Blessed are those who weep sounds something like God won't give you more than you can handle, which is generally said to you at the moment you cannot possibly handle one more thing. And the idea that God has given this to you on purpose turns your stomach. Meanwhile, nothing in our day-to-day lives suggests that riches or full tables or laughter are anything to be shameful or woeful about. Quite the contrary. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus preaches in a little different way. A very different place. He goes up to a mountain, so we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And he says things like, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers and the meek. But Luke's gospel is endlessly practical. He talks all the time about poverty and money and food and drink and women and children. And so the way Luke tells it, Jesus isn't talking about the poor in spirit, but the very real day-to-day experience of not having enough money. He isn't telling us that it's a blessing when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, but that it's a blessing to be hungry, that gnawing pit in your stomach. And that there's a blessing in the weeping you do when your grief is so raw you think you might never stop. Maybe all of this is why Jesus in this gospel speaks from that flat level place. Because everything he is talking about, the kingdom of God, the kind of blessing, all of it flattens the differences we make between us. That's not how we live. We know what it's like to live in a time when the rich get richer and the powerful get higher and higher up, farther and farther away from everyone else. Or maybe we know what it's like to live in the valleys, pressed down, pushed down, shoved down, made to feel as if we will never matter. Jesus' viewpoint is different. He doesn't stand on the mountain and he doesn't stand in the valley. He chooses the plain, the level place. He won't stand above it all looking down. But he starts at the beginning right with everybody. Breathing the same air, standing on the same ground. Maybe even so short that he has to look up. And he invites us to consider what it would be like to live in this world that same way as equals, standing together instead of always scrambling our way to the top. It's clear that God's idea of blessing and our idea of blessing are two very different things. And if we are still struggling to figure that out and exactly what that means for us, then maybe that's what Jesus wanted all along. It's not hard to say, but it's very hard to believe that the riches we are told to want and the stuff we should accumulate and the awards we win, they won't make us any more beloved to God. And the nights of weeping 
and the desperation of not being able to pay the bills and the indignity with which we are treated when we are poor, those things don't distance us from God. After all, Jesus left this sermon and spent the rest of his life feeding the hungry and standing with those who are poor and confronting the rich and comforting those who weep. (coughs) He was not content to let the world go on turning as if the way we treat each other doesn't matter. He refused to leave some of us on the mountaintops imagining that all our stuff will protect us and he would not leave people in the valleys believing that we are not worth anything from anyone, even God. Jesus brings us all to this level place where we are eye to eye, equal to one another, all beginning just the same way. Maybe when that's how we start, we will notice that someone next to us is hungry and we will reach out our hands to share something extra from our tables. Maybe we will see that our neighbor is weeping and turn toward them to offer a hand or a word or a touch or a listening ear. Maybe if we stand next to each other, breathing the same air, we will see how poverty robs others of their dignity and we'll realize that our riches don't bring us much consolation and our full bellies are not the same thing as contentment. And our laughter doesn't last when all around us is fear and anxiety. Maybe if we take the time to stay on that level plane and stop and listen and wait and watch with each other and simply be together, we will see the blessing that each person carries within them, no matter what the world says. The first morning you wake up to that way of blessing, it looks beautiful, pristine, and lovely. The second day it gets a little harder. Each day we follow this way of Jesus is more and more disruptive until one day we think it's probably impossible to go back to the way things were. I suspect that is exactly what Jesus wanted all along. Blessed are you when that view becomes all you can see. Amen.